Come on, little buddy. We're going on an adventure. This one mechanic was so powerful that it changed a major format, had a banned card when it was spoiled, and had to be eroded soon after it debuted. How can one word be so powerful? What makes these 10 cards so powerful? Is playing a companion worth reading the fine print and putting an, ex an extra added restriction on your deck? That's what we hope to explain in this episode of Magic the Gathering Under the Hood. Hello and welcome to this wonderful episode of Magic the Gathering Under the Hood. As always, I'm your host, Chris, and I'm joined by my good friend and jo level one judge, Joe. Say hi, Joe. Hello, everybody. All right, and we'll start off this episode with um, if you have any questions, comments, concern, concerns, show ideas, tell us a dad joke. You can do so by emailing us at mtgunderthehood at gmail.com. You can also find us on both Facebook and Twitter at MTG under the hood. All right, with all of those niceties out of the way, let's get on to what decks we've been working on. Joe, I'll let you go first because I have a laundry list of projects I've been working on. I don't have too many decks that I've really been working on. However, I, I quote unquote finished the my Rafik of the Many deck. It is a deck that's, of course, Bant colored and built around the Exalted mechanic. And I do say quote unquote finished because it's it's 100 cards and we're we're starting to figure out some of the things that work, some of the things that don't work. I'm having a, a tough time, though, getting it to work the way I want it to. Uh, a lot of my mana base just appears to be off. We're not getting the, the... The ramp isn't coming out early enough, even though I have extra sources of ramp in there. The targeted removal isn't really happening as great as I thought it would. So we're going to have to go back and rework some of that. And at the same time, it's it's also like trying to just get the creatures to work correctly. I don't know. Like sometimes it works pretty well. Other times, not so much. So it's it's quote unquote finished. But that's what I've been building so far. And looking at the show notes, you, you do have quite a number of decks. You clearly got some inspiration. So, Chris, what all have you been working on? All right. So. Um, I've, I'm putting the quote unquote finishing touches on my Valduct. Um, I actually decided to just use nothing but equipment rather than both equipments and artifacts. Um, that way I can either, that way I can kind of control how many I can create all at once. Um, that way I can also kind of vary the power level of them. Um, mm -hmm. I've also been brewing Gissa. Glorious Resurrector as a mono black. What's yours is mine because hers is if a cr creature an opponent would die, it gets exiled instead. And then at the beginning of my upkeep, all creatures that are exiled uh, enter the battlefield under my control, but they also have decayed. So, um, it's pretty much so that, I'm that's the new one. That's the new one from uh, Midnight Hunt, right? Yes. Um. So. I had an idea, like I kind of saw that one and went, eh, it's kind of a play on like my Sir Conrad deck where his is all about my graveyard and my creatures. And with Giss, with uh, Gissa, it's all about my opponent. Um, I've also been brewing uh, the new Edgar uh, Markov from uh, Crimson Val as a um, white black vampire tribal. Um, I'm also in the process of brewing Wilhelt, which is zombie tribal, uh, retuning my, um, Azuri, because I found a few cards while going through all of mine for this episode, 
Um, found a few cards that I kind of want to play around putting in it. And the one that I was actually working on before this episode, right before it actually, is uh, Cadilla Dawnheart Prime. Um, and it's a human's tribal. And I am going to be doing all of my wonderful fun tricks on how to break break the game with this one because I have access to white and token creation. Okay, all right, sounds good. And so that's everything that I've been working on. Yeah, you have been a busy guy. Uh, the joys of ADHD. I can have like multiple things. <laughs> um, all right, so now that we've got all of that fun stuff out of the way, let's start cracking down and getting a little bit more serious with some words to live by. Joe, what's the first one? The first is actually one of the um, archetype decks that we had talked about before in a previous episode, but we didn't really talk about this one too much. This is the term hate bears. A hate bears deck is a slang term for a deck style that focuses on many defensive spells that tend to last throughout the game. Now, when we say defensive spells, what we're really talking about here is making life more difficult for your opponents. You're going to make them have to maybe pay a little bit extra to cast their spells. Maybe you're going to limit how many cards they can draw per turn. Maybe you're going to limit how many attackers they can have. It's not that you're trying to make the game impossible. You're just slowing them down a lot. Or at the same time, you're also having a lot of targeted removal that's very specific. So you're going after specific key pieces of your opponent's decks to make just, maybe you're going to break something that they had set up for a little while and make it so it's really hard for them to pull off a combo, or they're gonna, you're going to take advantage of one of their, their key pieces to their deck. So the Hate Bears idea, it's, it's a lot of fun if you build it right. You don't want to get too Hate Bears-y. And, and then at that point, I from experience, I know it can start to be not as much fun for the opponents and maybe for you too. But there are a lot of people who like that style of deck as well. And it is a completely viable strategy. Just be prepared. You need to have some kind of actual finisher, some way to actually finish out the game. Chris, I know you particularly like this next word that we're going to talk about. What is it? All right. The next one we're going to talk about is Spellslinger. Now, this is a type of deck that focuses on using instants and sorceries to win while also having some payoffs for casting spells. Um, Spellslinger, uh, the Spellslinger archetype got a really big boost with uh, Strixhaven and the Magecraft ability because then you were just getting extra. Um, Magecraft is the, uh, um, is the equivalent to Landfall, but it's with instants and sorceries and copying those. And so you just get additional triggers off of that. Um, another way that you can get payoffs for casting spells is um, through prow prowess. Um, and so typically these ones will be in um, either they can be mono red, as in burn, or they can be in primarily in red and blue, known as is it spell slingers. And those ones are actually even on a budget, they can actually be very competitive just because it's it typically runs a lot of low-costing spells with creatures that benefit from you casting instants and sorceries, namely like Gutter Snipe. You get, an, you get to deal two damage every time you cast an instant or sorcery, and tying back to one of our previous episodes with Flashback, so with uh, Lava Dart, you'll get multiple trig... You can get two triggers off of one Lava Dart with... Um, 
gutter snipe. So spell slinger, this one is a fast, aggressive, and really fun in my opinion because that's one of the, my favorite ones to play. Um, so with that, and I'm just going to take the last one because it, this one actually um, is going to be relevant to this episode. And the last one is B and R or B and R. Um, this is the shorthand term referring to the banned and restricted list. Um, each format has their own banned and restricted list. Uh, banned means it cannot be used. Restricted means you can only have one copy total between your um, your main deck and your sideboard. So of the seventy five, the minimum seventy five, only one of them can be a restricted card. Um, typically, the restricted list is for uh, legacy and vintage, um, and then banned is all across the board. Um, the only thing is is for uh, commander. Wizards does not control the band list. Uh, the commander band list is controlled by the commander advisory group. I think CAG. Uh, yeah, com- the rules rules committee. The advisory yeah. group. The CAG actually advises the rules committee, and yeah. it's made up of a larger group of members. But yeah, yeah. So, and but with the whole commander thing, rule zero. The band list is just a suggestion if you have that conversation with your play group. All right. Enough with all of that. So as a um so this episode is all about the uh second big mechanic from Ikoria and that is Companion. It premiered in the Ikoria set alongside Mutate from our last episode. Um within weeks of it being released, it received rules changed. Uh it was one of a small number of mechanics to greatly affect the way that people played in the eternal formats. And one of the few mechanics to have a card banned in a format before release. So with all of those little tidbits out of the way, Joe, you want to take care of the rules? As always, the companion rules are actually found in multiple points throughout the comprehensive rules. So you're going to hear me talk about a couple different rules that bounce around. That's okay. There's just a lot of things that go into the companion mechanic that make it work. We're starting with rule 702.139A. Companion is a keyword ability that functions outside the game. It's written as companion-condition. Before the game begins, you may reveal one card you own from outside the game with a companion ability whose condition is fulfilled by your starting deck. Once during the game, at any time you have priority and the stack is empty, but only during a main phase of your turn, you may pay three generic mana and put that card into your hand. This is a special action that doesn't use the stack. And this is a change from previous rules. They did need to put that in there. So there's a lot that goes into this. We're going to break all of these down with the other rules that are actually built into Companion. 702.139b. If a Companion ability refers to your starting deck, it refers to your deck after you've set aside any sideboard cards. In a Commander game, this is also before you've set aside your Commander. 702.139c. Once you take the special action and put the card with Companion into your hand, it remains in the game until the game ends. 103.2b. If a player wishes to reveal a card with a Companion ability that they own from outside the game, they may do so after setting aside their sideboard. A player may reveal no more than one card this way, 
and they may do so only if their deck fulfills the conditions of that card's companion ability. So let's break that one down for just a real quick minute. You have to do all your sideboarding in game two and game three before you reveal the companion. What this means, it, it the, the companion mechanic only focuses on the main deck. The main deck, so your main 60 cards. That means you can have cards in your sideboard that don't actually meet the companion requirement. But keep in mind that if you sideboard in some of those cards that don't meet the companion requirement for games two and three, you lose that the ability to have that companion be your companion. And so it'll simply be stuck in your sideboard for game two or game three until you take those cards that are in your main deck that don't meet the companion restriction out and put them back in your sideboard. 103.2c. In a commander game, each player puts their commander from their deck face up into the command zone after having the opportunity to reveal a card with a companion ability and before shuffling. So once again, what this means, if you're playing commander and you have a companion, your commander must meet the requirement as well. So you don't reveal the commander until you have revealed the companion that is that is played by meeting the, the requirements for that card. And then 116.2G. A player who has chosen a companion may pay three generic mana to put that card from outside the game into their hand. This is a special action. A player can take this action anytime they have priority and the stack is empty during a main phase of their turn, but only if they haven't done so yet this game. So basically, you can put you you can use the special action to put the companion into your hand anytime you could cast a sorcery. Please keep in mind that if you decide to use the spell say quicken, which allows you to cast a spell at instant speed, you still cannot use the companion ability to get the card from outside the game into your hand. It, it has to be when you would naturally be able to cast a sorcery. You can think of that in your head. The special action part is important. This makes sure that the card actually goes from outside the game into your hand. Your opponents can't respond to it. It doesn't go on the stack. And there is no way that they can actually remove that creature from coming outside the game into your hand. Now, they can still do other things to it once you go to cast the spell, because that doesn't mean that the creature is cast, it doesn't go into play. It simply means you're bringing it from outside the game into your hand. And this is one of the advantages of Companion. As long as you're able to pay that three generic mana, you always have access to that card. The rules for Companion actually are pretty simple now. They aren't overly complex. Uh, for a while, though, they were a little bit different, and again, that's why they had to put in the very first rule that the rules had been changed from when they were originally released. Originally, and Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, because it's been a while, I want to make sure I got this right, I think you only had to pay the mana cost, and you could actually play the companion from outside the game. So it would be an exile, and, and when, anytime you wanted, you just paid the mana cost of the card and put it into play. Is that right? Do I remember that correctly? Yes. Um, that's how it was originally supposed to be. Um, but the fact that you had access to that card pretty much um, at any time and uh, beforehand, before the rules change, um, it wasn't a special action. It was You were literally just casting the creature right. from outside the game. So that, right. because primarily, um, the so 
the one that was the biggest offender and probably the biggest cause of that um that errata is Lutri because he has flash. So at you could cast him from outside the game at instant speed for really big payoff. Um and then uh Luris was also the other major offender because again you it only cost 3 and so you were able to pay 3 to get it from outside the game into play even though it didn't have flash you could still do it really quick and that made again a lot of legacy games just completely warp the format uh Zerda and uh Kahiri are both three manas as well so those ones actually That's true. Um and for those wondering Zerda uh that one just makes it your activated abilities cost less and kahiri is a ant a pump anthem um so it gives plus one plus one in vigilance to uh cat elemental nightmare dinosaurs and beasts um and what you'll notice with a lot of these with all of these commanders is that their uh commander clause oh, sorry their companion clause is directly tied is almost directly tied to their ability right. um and so with that nice little segue we will jump into the featured cards so i'm going to start this off with my pride and joy and my baby and i've actually built a commander deck around this one and that is lutri the spell chaser um and i'm going to preface this with all of the companions are uh, two colors, but their mana cost is all hybrid. So if you hear me say "is it" or "gruel" or something like that, if I use the guild, uh, that's just me saying it's that color combination, but as a hybrid. Um, so Lutri the Spell Chaser for a generic, uh, is it is it or red blue hybrid red blue hybrid? Um, it's a legendary creature, Elemental Otter. He's a three two. His companion clause? Are we going with companion clause or ability? Uh, let's go with companion clause, yeah. Let's, right. let's go with that, yeah. All right, so his companion clause is each non-land card in your starting deck has a different name. He has Flash. And when Lutri the Spell Chaser enters the battlefield, if you cast it, copy, target, instant, or sorcery spell you control, you may choose new, new targets for this copy. Now, Lutri is actually the one that was banned before the set even came out, as soon as it was spoiled, the commander advisory group, the CAG, and the rules and the commander rules committee banned this right off the bat. As soon as they saw this, it got the ban hammer because of its companion clause. It already meets the the main stipulation to commander decks, and that's it's a single tent format. So in order to have Lutri as your companion, you have to play a single tent deck. Well, that's already met, and if you were running anything that was, if you were playing a uh, deck that had access to red and blue, you could automatically have Lutri as your companion. So, even Lutri if he was, didn't really, even if he didn't benefit you, I mean, you could just run Lutri simply because you had red and blue in the deck, and it just it made sense, you know. So, of course, it had to get banned from the get go. All right, Joe, you want to take the next one? Sure, I'll take the next one. Uh, the next card we're going to talk about is is one of those that is one of the reasons that Companion has had such a changing effect on the game. This is Loris of the Dream Den. This is a legendary creature, Cat Nightmare. It is a 3-2 creature. It costs 1 Orzov Orzov. 
to cast. Its companion clause, each permanent card in your starting deck has converted mana cost 2 or less. It has lifelink. And during each of your turns, you may cast one permanent spell with converted mana cost 2 or less from your graveyard. And again, uh, you talk about the older formats, they go much, much faster than standard, than commander does. The, in fact, the further back you go, the more powerful the cards, the faster the games tend to be. And Loris easily just slotted right in when you only had to pay three to get it on the field from, from outside the game. You were able to go ahead and pull back creatures immediately. This really hasn't stopped Loris from being uh, a big, big creature in any format where it's legal. Uh, Loris is actually banned in Legacy at this point, and it does not see a lot of play in Vintage, simply because of the power level of Vintage already. Loris just, as powerful as it is, it can't quite crack the Vintage format. But Modern, Pioneer, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a powerhouse. It is a powerhouse of a card, and again, it was one of the major reasons why we had to make that original change to the way Companion was was played. Chris, and, why don't you take the next one? All right, well, I'm just going to jump in real quick. So, in the Eternal format of, like, modern uh, Legacy, Vintage, um, those ones, Legacy is where, is one of the few that they will... Correct me if I'm wrong, but they restrict cards in Legacy, correct? So it's it's mostly vintage where they actually do the the restricting of cards. Uh, not not as much in Legacy, but it's pretty much vintage because that's where you're able to play your Moxes. That's where you're able to play. You know, if you really want to play a Black Lotus, you're allowed to have one copy in your deck in Vintage Legacy. It's banned. So yeah, and but still, the fact that a card that was this new got banned in a eternal format the, oh yeah that just shows how powerful this card and how influential these cards can be all right well, so we're gonna, of, we're gonna talk about that some more at, at great length later yeah trust me all right what's the next one joe uh the next one we're gonna talk about is yorian sky nomad Yorian Sky Nomad is another legendary creature bird serpent it is a four five it costs three generic and then Azorius Azorius to cast. Its companion clause. Your starting deck contains at least 20 cards more than the minimum deck size. It has flying, and when Yorian enters the battlefield, exile any number of other non-land permanents you own and control. Return those cards to the battlefield at the beginning of the next end step. Yorian is actually an interesting companion. Uh, believe it or not, Yorian was really popular and still is really popular. In fact, it's one of the few commanders that, or not commanders, one of the few companions that does show up in a legacy deck that is towards the top of the meta. And Yorian also cannot be your companion in Commander because you need to have 120 cards in order to have Yorian as your your companion, and that goes against the commander rules. Commander rules for deck building state you need to have exactly 100 cards, so you cannot meet that. Still, despite all this, Yorian has seen amazing gameplay and, and still commands several, several decks that are at the top of the meta for multiple formats. 
which is impressive, seeing as how with most of those constructed formats, you're now putting 80 cards into your deck instead of the usual 60. And while that may seem like a... Well, it might seem good. Uh, it, it also can trim the efficiency of your deck, but it seems to work for enough people, so they, they continue to use it. Chris, what's the last companion we're going to discuss? All right, the last companion is Garuda Doom of Depths. For, and it costs four generic Demir Demir. It's a legendary creature, Demon Kraken. It's a 6-6. Six, six. Its companion clause is your starting deck contains only cards with even converted mana costs. And its ability is when Garuda enters the battlefield, each player puts the top four cards of their library into their graveyard, put a creature card with an even converted mana cost from among those cards onto the battlefield under your control. So when Garuda enters the battlefield, you and all of your opponents, um, you each mill four cards and then if any if there's a um a creature card with an even converted mana cost among them and it's not just your cards it's all of them done this way you can pretty much take control of that you can put it onto your battlefield um this one is and so in commander games this one is absolutely beautiful because instead of it just being total of eight cards you're looking at 16 um so you have a better you cast a wider net to get more toys to play with um i have never really well this fun fact for you this is the only companion card that i do not have and so i haven't been able to play with it um joe what are your thoughts on it well i'll tell you garuda especially when ikoria first came out and i was again i was playing a lot of of arena because we didn't have in-person events going on. Before they changed the rules on Companion, Garuda was a powerhouse deck. People were running one copy of this as the Companion, and the other three copies of Garuda they were just running in their main deck. Because, of course, it costs six to play, so it meets the, the clause for its own uh, Commander Clause. It, it, it was just oppressive. You, know, you would end up actually sometimes people would chain together multiple Garudas if they got lucky. And so they would they would cast the first Garuda, they would mill their second one, throw that onto the battlefield, do it and and take something of yours. Then they would do the mill again. And so by the time it's all said and done, I mean, you were looking at a massive swing in the board. Once they changed the command or the the clause for companion and how you're supposed to actually how you're allowed to play them, People didn't play Garuda as much. Uh, it, it sort of lost a lot of that surprise element that it had. So it, it didn't become overly popular anymore. And you can really see, you look at, at the meta and Garuda is not even visible. The price of the card, I think the card is worth less than a dollar at this point. So it's not something that people play frequently. But when it first came out, it was, it was a powerhouse card. <laughs> and it... it took a number of wins away from me whenever I had to play against it. So the other one we aren't talking about, and I, we mentioned it earlier, we probably should because it, it's actually on a banned list as well, is Zerta the Dawn Waker. Uh, Zerta the Dawn Waker is the Boros-colored companion. And I'll just give you a quick rundown. Uh, I have it right card, in front of me. Uh, Each permanent card in your deck has an activated ability, 
and abilities you activate that aren't mana abilities cost two less to activate. This effect can't reduce the mana in that cost less than one. And then it has one tap. Target creature can't block this turn. This one, again, it's another one. Reducing the cost of activated abilities. Uh, equipment. The equip ability is an activated ability. You get to equip for much, much cheaper. And Zerta was another one. So many activated abilities in the legacy format, it ended up getting banned. Yeah, like, so the thing that I love most about Zerta is um, when I was uh, in the process of building a uh, Kenrith, uh, Kenrith the Return King, um, I actually have Training Grounds, Biomancer's Familiar, and Zerta. I had those Mm -hmm. three in it. So if I had all three of those on the battlefield, it would be reducing activated abilities by a total of six mana. So pretty much anything I wanted to yeah. do would only cost me one mana. Um, and where Zerda can really break things is whenever you pair it with Basalt, Monolith, uh, Basalt Monolith. Oh, um, yeah. Because Basalt yeah, Monolith right. taps for three colorless, but it also costs three to un- it doesn't untap you have to pay three colorless to untap it but because right. zerta reduces it by two to make it one um you can tap and untap it and cr- and generate infinite seemingly- colorless mana yeah <laughs> infinite colorless mana so that you can do a lot of really big flashy things so right. so just being able to reduce abilities even by two makes it that powerful oh yeah oh yeah so as we had as we had mentioned earlier, there are no monocolored command or commanders. There are no monocolored companions. There are ten multicolored cards. That's it. That's all we have. There is one in each color pair, and every one of them has a hybrid mana symbol. And really, the idea behind that was so, especially during drafting and sealed events, when you're playing in the limited format, you had a much wider opportunity to actually play these cards. Uh, you know you. You see, you know, you see activated abilities in a lot more other colors. They're in all five colors of mana. So you're able to go ahead and, you know, and you could use Zerta not simply in a Boros deck, but you could use it Orzov, Azorius, uh, Is It, you know, whatever, whatever color combination that had white or red in it, you could get that companion in there if you really wanted to. Chris, do you want to talk about something. the featured decks? Oh, you realize something. What's up? So the other week, a couple weeks ago, we did the draft with Ikoria, right? Right. Yeah, I really wish I had drafted a uh, a Lutri because I would have actually ran it as a companion. Because with whenever you draft, you typically don't get a lot of repeats. That's true. So if I had drafted it, I would have definitely run it as a companion just because. Because I just realized it was from the Ikoria set. Off. Yeah. All right. So featured decks. Um, Yarion. And um, Loris were popular decks from the start. I think we've already covered that. Yeah. Um, and they remain that's, that's in standard. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's just in standard. You know. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. So Yaron when, when they were in standard. Yeah. Yeah. When they were in standard, Yaron and Loris were the two powerhouses. Um, and they remained pop. Uh, they remained popular the entire time they were in standard. Um. Lurus was so powerful that it actually got banned in a eternal format. Um, so did Zerda. Like, um, they were just so powerful and so good that it was just oppressive. Garuda uh, also had a powerful deck before the rules change. And you will, if you go back and look, 
um, before that rules change, before that errata, there were a lot of decks in standard that were running companions just because it was so quick and easy to play your companion. But as soon as they came out, there was no downside. Yeah. Why not run that extra card at that point? You know? Yeah. It was basically like having an, an, an eighth card in your hand at all times. Um, so after the rules change there, that's whenever you saw the ones that were the most powerful kind of stick around. Um, because you, for like Loris or uh, Lutri or even Kahiri, um, if you were running a deck that could definitely utilize your companion, you would seriously consider putting that limitation on yourself to run them because they are so good. Um, but after the rules change, it kind of dropped off because it just it changed up the tempo of what of how you would use your companion. Absolutely. A lot of people really didn't think that paying that three would make a huge difference, but it did. obviously we it, it did. It really made a huge difference. And suddenly it's throwing off your mana curve and, and a lot of people were not willing to run them anymore uh, unless they had the really big payoff. You know, Yorian, Lut- or Yorian, Luris, uh, K- not so much Kahira, but Zerda, you know, those yeah. ones stuck around because they were worth it. The other ones, not so much. All right. So, so I think it's time for us to get into our, our playing with the ability and playing against the ability. Chris, which one do you want? I'll take the first. All right. All right. So playing with a companion. No, first and foremost, know the companion restrictions. If you're going to use a companion, make sure that your deck meets the companion clause so that you can use your companion. Uh, second, when should you bring your companion into your hand? Um, now this one is kind of situational depending on each of the companions. Um, each of them will play a little bit differently. Uh, so with ideally for Lutri, um, you'll want to bring him into your hand a turn or two before you plan on doing something big and splashy with an instant or sorcery so that you can get the bigger payoff for it. Um, for Yarion, Yorion, I I think I've said it like five different times now. That's all right. We get the idea. Uh, for Yorion, you'll want to because it's a five mana, because it costs five mana t- to cast it, but you also have to pay three to get into your hand. You have to pay eight mana for this. Um, so you'll want to play him later in the game, also because of his ability where um you can blink all of your stuff. So you want to do that when you have a lot of stuff with enter the battlefield triggers, so that you can get the most payoff. Uh. But for things like Kahiri, that one's pretty much um, whenever you want. And Kahiri is the Selesnia one. And its companion clause is uh, each creature in your starting deck is a cat, elemental, nightmare, dinosaur, or beast card. Um, Vigilance, and like I said earlier, if it's one of those creature types, it gets plus one, plus one in Vigilance. So So with this one, even though it's a three mana, comes out to six if you play it in one turn and primarily you'll see those you'll see that one in tribal because i'm going to redo my ren and sari deck to have him as a companion right um and then you have to remember to accommodate the cost to bring your companion into your hand like i said it's going to add on three mana to its um casting costs so the lowest one that there is is uh your lutri loris 
uh, and Zerda as three, and the highest one I think is Garuda um, at six. I, th- I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah, because Obosh is uh, five. So yeah, five. because he's the odd CMC. Yeah, yeah. and then Karuga is also a five. Um, right. So anywhere. So the lowest you'll be paying for your companion total is six. The most that you'll be paying is nine. Um, so that really limits when you can play it. Now, here's the thing, though. If you bring it into your hand the turn or so before you plan on playing it, as soon as it gets into your hand, it is a viable target to have you discard it or stuff like that. So just because Absolutely. you have it in your hand does not guarantee that you're going to play it. So be mindful of what deck you're going up against, because there are decks that's focus around discarding having your opponents discard um and then the companion takes up a sideboard slot keep that in mind when you're building your sideboard because sideboard can have no more than 15 cards that companion takes up one so you are reducing your usable your quote-unquote usable sideboard down to 14 and sideboards um this actually sideboards took me the longest to understand and what all to put yeah. into it, and and then whenever you're actually playing in a tournament or whatever, being able to know what to sideboard in and out, more often than not, that one card can actually make a difference. Because yeah, that it absolutely can. Because like even whenever I went to the Grand Prix, it was hard for me to figure out what I wanted for my sideboard because I didn't know what I was going to be going up against, so I had to use. I don't think I had a playset of anything in my sideboard. I think I only had threes of. I had five different uh, sets of three, and that was just so that I can, it, depending on what I was going up against, game two, I could try and sideboard in a response to something. But you just want to be able to have all of your options, and your companion is not only restricting your deck and how you build it; it is also restricting your sideboard. So you're going to be playing at somewhat of a disadvantage, but if you are able to meet those companion clauses and get your sideboard in order, you could you could you know put up a really decent and really aggressive deck, depending on which companion yeah. you have, stuff like that. Obosh, I know, is absolutely oppressive. Like it is a lot of the um, uh, red burn spells are odd are odd converted mana, well odd mana values. So you just get yeah. more bang for your buck out of that. And then, so you just want to be mindful of the companion clause and when you want to play it and bring it into your hand because, like I said earlier, as soon as it hits your hand, it becomes a target. All right, so I've had a long-winded convers- I've had a long-winded uh, explanation on playing with a companion, but what if you're going up against someone that's using a companion? Joe? Well, first, if you're going up against somebody who's using a companion for their deck, you already know some of the basic ideas of what your opponent's deck wants to do. If you are going up against Zerda, you know there's going to be a lot of activated abilities. If you're going up against a deck with Loras, you know to just kneel down, pray for a little bit, and hope for a swift ending so that you don't have to worry about, you know, dealing with it too much but you know everything is going to go ahead and have you know cmc two or less for all the permanents that are going to hit the field 
So you do have some basic information there. Use that to your advantage. If you know that they're going to be running a really quick deck and your deck is not so fast, okay, well, maybe you might lose in game one, but maybe game two sideboard in some things that can help against those faster decks and make sure that you're, you know, you're at your aggressive decks that are coming up against you, whatever you have to be a defensive mechanism against that, use it. Remember that your opponents have to pay to get the command, uh, the companion into their hand. So at the very least, you know that what one card is in their hand, which believe it or not, magic is a lot about the information that you have available and how you can put it to your advantage. If you know that that's one card in their hand, well, that's that's a lot more than knowing if you know one of seven, that's a lot better than knowing zero of seven. So use that to your advantage as much as possible. You know there's only six other cards in their hand. Go ahead and, and try to get as much information out of that as possible. Usually the companion plays an important role in the deck. And because they have to pay to get it into their hand, if you can thwart their plan to keep them from getting their companion onto the battlefield, or even better, if you can keep it from even getting into their hand, then you're, you're going to probably do something to help disrupt their deck enough. They're going to have a hard time winning. Now, sometimes the decks are just built well enough that it doesn't matter. The companion is still important, but not necessary to win. But if you can do enough disruption, sometimes you can pull off that win, or if not, shut down the deck entirely. You just got to make sure you know when to disrupt the deck and how to thwart the plan well, and at key moments to make sure it happens. Finally, keep in mind, your opponent can only have one companion card, but that doesn't stop them from putting three more copies of that card into their deck. A lot of this is done for redundancy. Like I said, when Garuda was a popular companion and the deck was big, a lot of people would have four copies of Garuda. One was the companion, the other three were just in the main deck. And again, that doesn't just because they have the creature as a companion doesn't stop them from putting it into their deck in many cases. Garuda being a great example. Zerda being a great example. Zerda has an activated ability. It meets its own requirement. Uh, Kahira of the Orphan Guard is, I, I believe, it meets Peace. its own requirement. Yeah, it meets its own requirement, so it's fine. Lurus, however, does not meet its own requirement. So you will never see a deck, if Lurus is the companion, you know they only have one copy of Lurus. But keep in mind, they may have more copies of the card in their main deck. So that being the case, just because they didn't put their companion into their hand doesn't mean they don't have one in their hand. So always be prepared for that. Read the companion clause so you know exactly what you could be up against and, and you know whether you're going to see multiple copies of that companion come into play or if you're going to just see the one that is the companion. So there really is just so much that has gone into companion and it was such a powerhouse we, we talked a lot about the different formats that see play with companions. Um, obviously, we've mentioned that Lurus and Zerda, Lurus completely changed Legacy, completely changed the way the game was played, honestly. And both of those cards are now banned in Legacy, still banned in the format. Uh, Gigantha, Lurus, and Kahira all have solid Pioneer decks that are at the top of their metas. Lurus, Yorian, and Kahira all have modern decks that are at the top of their meta. Fun fact, uh, when I played in the last modern tournament at our LGS, 
The guy that I was playing against had a four-color Elementals deck, and it was one of those instances where he had Kahira as a companion. Did not play Kahira once. I don't think even ever put Kahira into his hand. Partially because the deck I was playing was so aggressive that he didn't ever have time to really put Kahira into his hand. He had to keep playing his elementals, but all of his permanents were element. All of his creatures were elementals. So at that point, why not? Why not use Kahira? You know, we don't see companions too frequently, because Chris, you and I, because we play a lot of commander. And even honestly, I was really surprised when I started looking at the the different metas, just how common it is to have decks with companions in them. So I just realized something because you said that uh, someone you went up against had a Kahira as their companion. If you had Kahira as a companion, and I'm just going off of the uh, the two colors that are in it, so green and white, mm-hmm. that means you can have Loris, Zerda, Lutri, Gigantha, and uh, Karuga all in your main board. And it yes, would still could. meet the companion clause. Yep. Now, clearly they didn't do that. They were running four-color elementals, but... <laughs> yeah. But... yeah. Again, you know, when, when they're running elementals, it, it doesn't hurt. You know, if you're overrunning the board with creatures at that point, you can drop uh, Kahira and give them all plus one, plus one in Vigilance. And the elementals they were running weren't small elementals. I mean, we're talking Solitude, Fury, Endurance, um, Omnath, four-color Omnath. You know, I mean, these were massive beaters of of elementals so yeah i mean it was it was a solid deck and why not and the sad part is i guess you and i i think we were both kind of surprised because we didn't we don't play a lot we don't have as many opportunities to go to major bigger tournaments and i know neither of us play a lot on arena not that or mtgo i should say because arena doesn't have a lot of you know companion support anymore with them rotating out of standard but I just don't think we realized just how popular having a companion in your deck is and how beneficial having that eighth card in your hand readily available at all times, how much that can really change the way you play the game. Yeah, like I know the biggest I know one of the biggest things that came up with companion actually had to do with commander. Um, and this is besides Lutri. Um, it's kind of playing off of what you said, that eighth card in your hand. Well, because you have a companion, as long as your deck meets that requirement and you can have that companion, you technically have a 101 card deck um, because you have access to that one extra card. Um, right. uh, like I said earlier in the show, I'm going to be redoing my um, Ren and Sari deck to be Cat Tribal to where all of it is Cat so that I can run Kahiri as my companion home like just that access to that one extra card really shook up everything just because yeah it, it but in return it was also a double-edged sword you had that extra card but you were pretty much telegraphing uh, you were telegraphing a large portion of what your deck i what your deck concept is supposed to be so it can kind mm-hmm. of it kind of gives away um your intention so that your opponent can kind of formulate a plan in response to it before you even start as soon as you show that you're playing a, as soon as you re- you reveal your um companion that will give your opponent information 
But still, even after all of that, we are still seeing companions in all of the formats that they can be played in. And they are still really big, influential cards for their metas. Like like you said, they're so Luris and Zerda are banned in Legacy. But one, two, three, four, four of the companions, those being Gigantha, Luris, Kahiri, and Yaron, Yorion, all of those have like top decks in the meta, which is still, it just goes to show you how powerful it is. Now, mind you, Ikoria yeah. is around the time that power creep was still in effect. And well, so, I mean, it's, it still is. They powered down a little bit with the most recent sets, but you're right. I mean, yeah, Ikoria, they really pushed the limit on some of their mechanics. And I, I guess I kind of like that. But they really pushed, and and we saw the effects of what happens when you get pushed mechanics, and how much it can warp the game as a whole. Yeah, like it. I can still remember the day that I was like on my phone looking through, like looking on the internet or whatever, just kind of killing time, and I saw that there was an article for uh, a BNR announcement, and it was for it was the BNR announcement for Loris and Legacy. The fact and like I stopped what I was absolutely doing and read it, and I sat down yeah. and read that thing top to bottom for a couple full, times. I'm sure <laughs> a, a couple of times, and for the full explanation. And I'm like, and I'm looking at it, and this is back whenever Ikoria was in standard. Yeah, like it hadn't even rotated out, and it was still in standard, and it was banned from an eternal format. And it takes a lot to get banned in Legacy. And yeah. Yeah, it it was banned before it even rotated out. And it just took my breath away. I was like, I just couldn't believe that a three man, a, a, sorry, a mana value, a three mana value card could disrupt an eternal format so bad, so quickly that it was banned. Not only that, they, I mean, they had to change the rules on the mechanic. Yeah, it, I think. I think that's the first they first they changed the rules to try to make it work better. And then when they saw that that didn't really fix the problem, it made it better, but it didn't really fix the problem. Then they had to ban it. It was. Yeah, I think that was the so I think the companion errata is like one of the very few erratas that has happened since I've been playing magic. Because when was the last time they eroded the rules? Oh, eroded an actual rule. Um not well not to my recollection and certainly not within like the first couple weeks of a set being released like i can understand if an errata comes down you know a year or so you know just to kind of um like clean up the text or like clarify some of the rules on how stuff was written right um but the fact that they had to errata the rules weeks after it came out to completely mm-hmm. change how it worked. That just says how powerful it was. Oh yeah, without a doubt. Without a doubt. I guess that kind of gets into our scuttlebutt as we were going to talk about for this episode. And we were, we were talking about mechanics. Um, and it's, it's one of those questions where do you want wizards to play it safe like they did with, let's say, Crimson Val, where the mechanics are useful for the set, they make sense, they are are simple to understand, but they're not overly format warping, you know, but they, they are easy to grasp. They just 
They're safe, balanced mechanics for the set and for the current standard. Or do you want them to try to push the edge a little bit, like they did with Companion, where they wanted to give something completely new, completely different to the game? Or like they did with Mutate. And even though Mutate isn't used a lot outside of... I mean, you see you know, some Mutate cards pop up here and there, but Mutate was a completely new radical idea for how to, how to build a creature how to make something completely new and unique and different on the battlefield that it that doesn't have to be the same way every time. And so even though your deck is always the same cards, you could create different creatures on the battlefield each time, depending on how the cards came into your hand. I guess I'm, I'm kind of on the fen- on the side of, I guess I'd like to see some more of that innovation. You know, I, I, we even go ahead. Like I'm okay with them absolutely pushing the envelope. Um, but like not every set though um because i mean look at what happened throne of eldraine theros beyond death like there wasn't a power creep they stomped on the gas and just let that thing ride like the the power level yeah (laughs) the power level just jumped what i'm well okay but hold hold on hold on they should be i'm perfectly fine with them being creative innovative doing stuff that is above and beyond like the companion mechanic or um what was another one that broke it um escape like i'm okay with I don't like think escape really broke any underworld breach okay one card one okay one card does not make a mechanic bad or or difficult to work like, with though well but I, like, I see what you're saying. Yes, Underworld Breach did cause some problems. Like, I am perfectly fine with them doing these big, flashy, like, power creepy stuff, but not, like, if they're going to have, if they're going to do something like Throne of Eldraine, I'm okay with the net set being a little less powerful and then slowly getting back up to that so that it's more, like, it. it's more predictable on how it's going to go instead of just going, here's here's throne of Eldra- like here's you can definitely see where it's rising and then it just instantly dropped off i would be better i would be more happy if it was like a very powerful set and then kind of mass sets and then another powerful one and then a couple more mass so it kind of like levels out the playing field and it's not just i mean look at what standard was before uh this past rotation when throne of Eldraine rotated out even though you were playing in a rotating format, everyone was playing Throne of Eldraine because that's just how powerful it was. No, you're so, right. You're right. No, so, hold on. I, I don't think I don't think Throne of Eldraine was was pushed mechanics. I think Throne it, of yeah, Eldraine was, was overly pushed cards. Because I'm sorry, I don't I don't care what there, there was no mechanic no, no mechanic on the Great Henge, and yet it was still an incredibly powerful and still is an incredibly powerful card. There was no new mechanic on Oko, and yet it was still an incredibly, insanely powerful Planeswalker. Whereas when you started to look at the mechanics of, you know, of, of uh, Throne of Eldraine, the whole food token idea. Okay, yes, Oko turned thing, created food tokens, and, but he wasn't really you know, as much known for that. He elked your creatures. The adventure mechanic. All right, that one. I think... It, Okay, that one got out of hand because of Lucky Clover <laughs> and being yeah. able to double up your adventures. All right, yeah, but one, so if, if, yeah. So back one, to the whole one card thing. made one, that. 
<laughs> one card. As soon as someone figured out figured out that one card that made it absolutely worth it, right? They broke it and ruined it for everybody. Well, but still, and then once they banned Lucky Clover, the adventure mechanic got toned back. And while while you know, the adventure was still a a viable deck and everything, and it was still up in the top of the meta, it wasn't dominating. It wasn't the one. It was wasn't so oppressive that you couldn't beat it. It would still stand a great chance. It still won a number of games, but it wasn't miserable to play against it once you got rid of Lucky Clover. And uh, Questing Beast is another great example. Again, no mechanics on that thing, but Questing Beast came with like four or five abilities, <laughs> and and it. It just didn't need to have all of that, you know. So I don't. I I would love to see new and creative mechanics like mutate. Like I I still think we they needed to tweak some of the companion abilities to be a little bit more viable and less less broken. <coughs> Luris, Zerda, but <laughs> but aside from that, you know, honestly, I thought Yorian was a really balanced idea. You know, you in order to use Yorian as your companion and get the the blink effect, you have to put 80 cards in your deck. Okay, I, I think that's a really you know different idea. It's something unique, something different. Um, I I I like the companion idea. Um, I like the mutate idea. I like the adventure mechanic. I I think that I wish they would be a little more regularly creative with these ideas. Disturb is flashback for not instants and sorceries that's well, yeah that's all it is and i'm like uh, okay you know it's it's interesting it's different but it's a it's just a different take on flashback well like what i've noticed is anytime we go to a new place we get these big flashy things like we get these new mechanics these new abilities so with us so looking ahead with us going back to Kamigawa, we know a few of the things that are coming out. Like we know Ninjutsu is going to be back, um, but the uh, new new Capella or the new new Capenna, new uh, uh, yeah, new new Capenna, the gangster uh, planet. Yeah, the uh, <laughs> so with new Capenna, um, we have n- like all we know is the theme. So I'm really hoping that they give us like some some new abilities or mechanics. That are just fun and interesting because it seems yeah. like anytime we we revisit a plane, we kind of know what is going to happen. Um, how many times have we been back to Ravnica? How many times has is it had uh, an ability that something deals based with, off of spells? Yeah. Something based off of instants and sorceries. Yeah. How and again with the Ravnica one, how many times does Boros deal with you know like something token, to do with equipment? Something to do with equipment. <laughs> uh, Celestia, something to do with tokens. Yeah. Uh, Golgari, something to do with creatures in the graveyard or creatures dying, stuff like that. Right. So when we revisit planes, we know it's coming. We know it's going to be, a, they're going to switch it up a little bit with the mechanic, but it's still going to be somewhat the same mechanic. Yeah. But with the new planes, that's where we get all the big flashy, like kind of the game changers. So right. I'm looking forward to New Capenna. I'm looking forward to well, I mean Unfinity because that's just <laughs> that's going to be well, yeah. But that that's a different different animal with not everything being legal in you know in eternal formats and everything. But yeah. you know, I guess uh, yeah, I, I I would like to see them take some new get new creative ideas out there uh, in paper. I'm sorry, 
the the ideas they have for the digital only formats, alchemy, historic. No, I'm not interested in those. Sorry, I I like to play in paper. I don't want to pay for digital cards. So, or even grind out digital cards. So, that's yeah. I I wish they would just go ahead and just be more creative, I guess, all the time as much as possible. Yeah. Well, with that, well, I mean, we can I say we touch on the uh the like I just saw the the thing that you added to the scuttlebutt real quick. Um, right. So the BNR announcement for tomorrow. Uh, for those wondering, we are recording on uh, January twenty fourth, twenty twenty two. Um, and right now there is a BNR announcement for tomorrow. Um, there are rumors. Um, our companions may be getting banned or nerfed since they have warped the game so much. Also, Ragavan, Merktide Regent, and Dragon's Rage Channeler are possibly on the chopping block. Is that what I'm reading yeah. correctly? That's, okay. I've, I've heard especially Ragavan and uh, Dragon's Rage Channeler are on the chopping block for modern. All right. So I can kind of understand, like, I completely agree with Ragavan because I am sick and tired of looking at modern decks because I like to build red deck wins. I am sick of seeing every single deck that I'm looking at to try and get ideas. Place at Ragavan. Place at a Ragavan. Yeah. Place at a Ragavan. And so, exactly. so I'm going to be very happy when I if that gets banned. Uh, uh, I'm trying to see why Merktide Regent would be on the chopping block. Uh, uh, it's it's because of the Is It Delver deck. Um, uh, yeah, Merk, Merktide Regent has Delve. Um, and so the, it's just another powerhouse card. I think if anything, I think they would get rid of Dragon Rage Channeler before they get rid of the Merktide Regent. But, and I think it, cause I think Ragavan is usually run in that deck as well. So I think if you get rid of Ragavan and, and Dragon's Rage Channeler, you'll nerf the deck enough that it'll still be viable. And like the Merktide Regent will be the, the powerhouse card in the deck. I don't know. And again, these are all just kind of rumors because I know is it Delver like took over the meta? It's like twenty percent of the meta for Legacy is is it Delver right now? And it's also huge. And it's not the bet. I think it's the second biggest uh, modern deck. Hammer Time is the the most popular one for modern. But yeah, the, the, there's just a lot of things that people are, are speculating about with the BNR announcement tomorrow and. I know some people are really happy about them. And hey, who knows? Maybe some things will get unbanned that will that will make Ragavan not quite so oppressive. Yeah. Who knows? All right. So I think we're going to call this episode to a close. Um, like I said at the top of the episode, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, um, you want us to let us know what you think of the uh, ban and restricted announcement that is going to be coming out tomorrow or on the 25th if you want to you know let us know what you think whether it's just whether you think it's justified or not um what is your favorite creature type there that's the question i'm going to ask uh send us a uh email with your or send us an email a, a tweet at us or post or send us something on facebook with your uh your favorite magic card it doesn't have to be anything special it just let us know what your favorite magic card is we would love to know that. Um, and you can do so by emailing us at mtgunderthehood at gmail.com. And you can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at mtgunderthehood. And with that, 
We would like to thank you for listening to this episode of Magic the Gathering Under the Hood. I'm Chris. I'm Joe. We look forward to delving deeper under the hood with you in our next episode. Stay tuned.